1: Welcome to On The Rock, God's Unchanging Word for Changing Times with Dr. Camille Majdeli, Director of Teach All Nations Melbourne, Australia. Dr. Camille lived and studied in the Middle East, served as a principal of a leading Bible college and now travels the world teaching God's Word. He has an extraordinary knowledge of the Bible and a dynamic ability to make God's truth come alive in a real, practical way. This episode of On the Rock will give you keys to survive and succeed in the days ahead by hearing and doing the words of Jesus.
0: It's the beginning of the Gospels. It's the beginning of the New Testament. In today's program, we're going to learn more about the background of the Gospel of Matthew. You'll be very glad that you heard these things. Our series is entitled, The Kingly Messiah, Understanding the Gospel of Matthew, Part One, a verse-by-verse audio commentary, part of the larger Understanding the Bible series. We're still in the introductory part of Matthew. It is a great gospel. It is a gospel that fills in many gaps of our knowledge of Jesus. It tells us things in Matthew that we don't hear in other gospels, and yet it wonderfully complements the other gospels the New Testament, and indeed, the entire Bible. Gospel of Matthew, of course, is the first thing people read when they begin the New Testament. And remember, some people only have a New Testament portion of the Bible anyway. Considering that Matthew begins with a genealogy, that might seem to turn people off. But you know what? When you understand Matthew and why there is that genealogy and what is it trying to tell us about Jesus— It is absolutely inspiring. It is enthralling. I want to share with you some more now on the background of Matthew and on the background of the New Testament. Before I do, let's have a quick review of some of the things we've already learned. We learned that this gospel is called Kata Mathaon, according to Matthew. And he is recognized as one of the 12 disciples of Jesus. His full name is Matthew Levi a tax collector, from Capernaum, a town on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. Indeed, friends, it's Capernaum where Jesus set up his ministry headquarters after he was rejected at his hometown of Nazareth. But when Jesus moved from Nazareth to Capernaum, according to Matthew 4, he was fulfilling prophecy. Isaiah 9. We'll learn more about that when we get to Matthew 4. But... We know that Matthew Levi left everything to follow Jesus. He gave him a big reception in the home. He is one of the twelve. He was a faithful apostle, and he gave us a magnificent, masterful magnum opus that bears his name, the Gospel of Matthew. Now, the purpose is help le- to show people, primarily or at first the Jewish people, that Jesus of Nazareth is the long-awaited son of David, messiah christ and how does he do it we learn he's going to do it through things like fulfilled prophecy miraculous conception flight to egypt use of parables genealogy witness of his baptism witness of john sermons discourses and miracles so the theme we learned that the theme is two things one that the jesus is not just the messiah he is a kingly messiah. He has all authority in heaven and earth. I mean, there's some people in history, they were monarchs, but they weren't very kingly or queenly, depending on who they were. And many were, but many were not. In Jesus' case, he is every bit a king, as well as every bit a servant, every bit human, and yet every bit divine. He fulfills all in all. I also learned that Matthew 1.1 says, The first verse tells us that Jesus is the son of David, the son of Abraham. These are two key Old Testament figures, probably not the least of which because they were recipients of covenants that bear their names that are meant to bring redemption to the world. We learn there's numerous titles and portraits for Jesus in Matthew, that it was written probably around 60-something A.D., distinct features, but a very heavy interaction with the Old Testament. And so in the Gospel of Matthew, what we see is it is the beginning of the New Testament. There are various names to describe the Gospel, and one of those names is the Gospel of the Son of God. Another name is the Word of the Gospel. Many, many wonderful names. But very shortly... I want to share with you the Hebrew background of the New Testament. In addition, I want to share the Roman background and the Greek or Hellenistic background. Don't switch off. This is all important. If you want to get the most out of your Bible reading, get some background and see it for yourself. It will open things to you wondrously from God's Word. Gospel of Matthew. Hebrew background, not just of Matthew, but of the New Testament. Now, the Israelites in the New Testament period lived in the Holy Land, but many of them also lived in what is called the Diaspora, the Dispersion. So you had a thriving community in the land itself, and thriving communities throughout the ancient world. And we're talking about when you read Acts chapter 2, verses 9 to 11, it's very interesting. It talks about where these Jewish people that came for the Feast of Pentecost were derived. They came from Iran area or Persia. They came from Libya and Cyrene and Egypt. And of course, they came from Asia Minor, and they came from Europe itself. That's the ancient world as per the New Testament. So these are diaspora centers, as well as those Jews living in Israel itself. Now, when they lived in Israel in the time of Jesus, which is the first century AD, they were under Roman occupation, but they had some degree of religious and political autonomy. Some degree. That's where the puppet Herodian regime, starting with Herod the Great and his son's grandson and even great-grandson, come into the picture. Briefly mentioned in the Bible... But they are the backdrop of the New Testament. Now, 400 years had transpired from the time the Old Testament was finished, that's the prophecy of Malachi, last book of the Old Testament, to the Gospel of Matthew. 400 years between Malachi and Matthew. And they often call this the silent years because, well, there was no known prophetic activity. Basically, this is how it works. 400 years, in between the time that the Persians ruled in the Old Testament end, and the Roman rule at the beginning of the New Testament, there were two other major rulers. There were the Greeks or the Hellenistic rulers, and then there were the local Jewish rulers called the Hasmoneans. Let me give a little background. I think it's fascinating. I, I will trust I can make it fascinating for you as well. After Alexander the Great captured the Holy Land in the 4th century BC. A young guy with a big vision, basically Alexander, from Macedonia, northern Greece, had a vision of conquering the Persian Empire, which he did, and the Persian Empire was large. I mean, 120 satraps from India all the way to Ethiopia. And that's what he did. He basically conquered the Persian Empire. But he didn't want to stop there. He wanted the known world, at least the Persian Empire, to think, act, and speak Greek. He believed that would bring civilization, it would bring progress, it would bring secular blessing. Turning the world into Greek thinking, philosophy, and culture is called Hellenization. And if you are very Hellenistic, that's uh, the adjective that's used, this process sought to cause all people in the empire to act in a Hellenistic or Greek way. The land of Israel came under Greek rule, first of all, after the death of Alexander by the Ptolemy regime in Egypt. I believe that's where Cleopatra came from. And then passed on to the Greek rulers of Syria, Antioch Syria to be exact, called the Seleucids. During this period, the Hebrew Bible was translated, and I'm talking about the Old Testament, from Hebrew to Greek around the year 285 B.C. This translation is called the Septuagint, the LXX, which made the Word of God accessible to the whole civilized world. This is a revolution, friends, because until that date, in the third century BC, the word of God was only accessible to those that knew Hebrew. That's limited to the Jewish people and perhaps some of their neighbors and those that uh, spoke Aramaic might have understood. I'm not sure, but it was limited. Now that the Bible was in the international language of the day, Greek, it could be accessed by anybody. Well, after the abusive rule of Antiochus IV, who was also surnamed Epiphany. the IV did something very horrible. He was the Seleucid Syrian from Antioch. He desecrated the Jerusalem temple. He offered swine on the high altar. He banned circumcision, and I think even Sabbath keeping. And this was in the year 168 BC, around 200 years before the ministry of Jesus. An important point to make. Because of Antiochus' provocative and sacrilegious movement, a Jewish guerrilla movement called the Maccabees, under Judas Maccabeus, rose up, chased the Greeks out of Jerusalem, cleansed the temple, and the Greeks even left Israel, and they set up an autonomous Jewish regime, or Israelite regime, called the Hasmoneans. And they ruled for approximately 100 years the Hasmonean leader was both king and high priest. The situation lasted until the Romans came in 63 BC. Now recently I heard a scholar say that when the Romans came in, they didn't immediately get rid of the Hasmoneans. They basically let them stay in power for a time, but they were in charge until Herod came. So from 63 BC, when Pompey, came to Jerusalem to 37 BC, when Herod the Great took the throne of Israel, there probably still was Hasmonean rule. I didn't know that, but you learn something new each day. All right, the Romans then appointed Herod king of the Jews, sent him back to rule his people by force. He didn't have his own army. Rome backed him up militarily, but he did numerous building projects in Israel including Masada, Jericho, Machaerus, east of the Dead Sea, where John the Baptist was beheaded, Sebastia, which was the city of Samaria, capital of the northern kingdom, Caesarea, and his most renowned contribution was the temple in Jerusalem. The same scholar I listened to says that the ancient temple mount that Herod built was the largest public arena in the ancient world not just in Jerusalem and not just in Israel. I didn't know that either, but this is a man that has devoted his life to the study of Jerusalem. So it's the largest public square, and during that time also, Jews of the first century spoke Aramaic and Greek, and Hebrew was more of the religious language. Now, there was also... Ten Greek-speaking cities in the Holy Land, known as the Decapolis, or Decapolis. That's the more popular term. Deca means ten, polis means cities. These are ten Greek-speaking cities. Nine of these cities were located east of the Jordan Valley. The one that was west of the Jordan Valley was called Scythopolis, also known as Beit Shan and Bethshan is in the arrowhead neck of the Jezreel Valley where Saul had his body fastened to the wall and then we learn something about Judaism of the 1st century AD Judaism was divided into several sects first is the Sadducees they were the priestly class and aristocracy they did not believe in a resurrection, they did not believe in spirits, they did not believe in angels. Then there were the Pharisees, these were the regular workaday Jews, they were highly, highly deferential to the law of Moses, but they also believed in the things that the Sadducees did not. They believed in angels, spirits, and they believed in the resurrection. The sect of the Pharisees survived the disaster and destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70, And they reconstituted Jewish life at a place called Yavne, just west of Jerusalem. So they met in Yavne around AD 80, and they basically formatted Judaism without a nation state, without a temple, without the normal priestly class, with like the Levites, certainly without a king, no temple, of course. And that's what evolved into what we now know as rabbinic Judaism. Of our day, there were the Essenes, an ascetic group of Jews that probably lived in the Dead Sea region, bonding and spurning, I should say actually, they spawned the Dead Sea Scrolls, but they spurned the Jerusalem elite, who they considered corrupt and we're talking about the high priests, the Sadducees, and so on. Then there were the zealots. these were militant Jews who chafed at the Roman occupation, some would be considered terrorists. Sicarii that had knives under them and they would slip those knives in between the ribs of Roman soldiers in the crowded streets of Jerusalem. Then there was another sect called the Herodians. These were Jews who supported the puppet Herodian dynasty. And to these I want to add one more, the Nazarenes. These were the followers of Jesus of Nazareth, who is known as the Christ. Of course, These followers of Jesus went on to become known as the Christian Church. So let me say those names again. Sadducees, Pharisees, Essenes, Zealots, Herodian, and, of course, the followers of Jesus. That's the Hebrew background of the New Testament. Now let's look at the Greek background of the New Testament. The Greek background. Thanks to Alexander the Great the world fell under the seductive spell of Hellenization. The Greek way, including language, culture, and even Greek names, were adopted by the ancient Israelites. I'm telling you, Hellenization was very, very attractive. And no wonder Jews wanted to be part of the party, so to speak. They wanted to be like everyone else, so they had Greek names, and they competed in Olympics. And if it were possible, they'd even try to somehow undo their circumcision because, well, you know, they want to be like Greeks more than Jews. And, of course, as I mentioned earlier, this is the time when the Old Testament was written as it were in Greek or translated into Greek but also the New Testament was written in Greek with an extensive theological vocabulary. Combine this with the Old Testament in Greek called the Septuagint, the LXX, And now you have the entire Bible available in the Greek language, the international language. Remember that the ancient Greeks were geniuses. There seemed to be this period of enlightened individuals like Socrates, Aristotle, Plato, and Epicurus, to name some of the most prominent. And they influenced the world in a way that is still impacting us to this very day. Friends, I love history. And I believe by loving history, it actually positions you to understanding the present and even the future. So please allow me to indulge in a little bit more background in the next program, because we want to have an optimal chance of understanding the Gospel of Matthew. Remember to visit us at our Facebook page, Teach All Nations, Education, and thank you for liking our page. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the Gospel of Matthew and for the background of the New Testament. We want to be able to understand with our God-given intelligence, but most of all by the anointing of the Holy Spirit, what you are saying to the Church through Matthew, through the New Testament, through the Word of God as a whole. We praise you for all this through our mighty Savior and Kingly Messiah, Jesus.
1: Amen.